0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, We're going to be continuing our church series uh, today, and actually I'm going to do something a little bit different. We've got a little bit smaller of a crowd, uh, which is fantastic as we talk about uh, what it looks like to be a member of the body. Um, but what I thought I would like to do is, David, if you wouldn't mind, would you open up to 1 Corinthians 12 12 through 27? Well, I want to start by anchoring us in God's word as we pray and then we'll pray and uh, look at what does it look like uh, to be a member of the body? And uh, we'll walk through all of that together. But I want, to, I want us to be rooted in this text. and we're not going to teach through this, by the way. This is an opportunity for us to read over God's Word. Together, which talks a ton about being the body of Christ and being members one of another. And so, David, when you're ready, if you could read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27 for us. 12, 12, like 27. To 27. which Man, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for calling us to be members one of another, to be part of your body. Would you teach us today as we look at what does it look like to be a member in your local church, as we look at why, as we look at the biblical outline and guides for it? And Father, I do ask that Uh, you would teach us all this morning, that you would challenge us all. And Lord, that we would want all that you want for us when it comes to being members of one another and to you. And so Lord, we thank you so much for all that you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this series Series on the church that we've been is designed uh, to bring us up to speed on who we are and why we exist. We've talked about and we started first with Jesus, uh, how Jesus is the chief shepherd, the lead pastor, the senior pastor, whatever language you want to use there. The church is grounded and founded upon Jesus. We must get Jesus right. And if we don't get Jesus right, we are going to get the church wrong. So we, we talked about Jesus as the chief shepherd in the main point. We talked about the church being more than a building, but a people, a called out people who gather together and scatter Last week, we talked about eldership and the responsibility of leading the flock, and today, we're talking about what it means to be a member of a local church. In many ways, God has blessed our our church family. Uh, There's a a generous and faithful group of people who have together uh, gathered regularly for many years now, some recently, and us all to grow in our understanding of the gospel and understanding of who Jesus is and who have a desire to serve in this community. And as exciting as it is, it has created some unique challenges in shepherding and leading the flock. And on the one hand, we have loved uh, the hearts of the people that have been coming as part of Anthem. And on the other hand, it has been a challenge for us as leaders to know who exactly is the flock, who are the people that we're called to oversee, to love, to lead. Simultaneously, as we'll see, not only is it a a question for elders and leaders, but this is a question for the body, as we just read in 1 Corinthians 12, this call of this need for one another, this need for commitment, this need for value, this need for matter given to each other. And we live in a culture where there are not only a large number of choices of local churches or denominations, but there are a number of parachurch organizations, excellent podcasts, online churches, amazing YouTube worship videos, small groups, and all of these things that have a tendency to be disconnected from any local body. We live in a time and a place that's never been more individualized, where you can create your own hodgepodge of religion, one where God isn't the boss of your faith, but you are. We've had people over the last nine years who have come in and joined us and worship for a season and just as quickly. They have come in, they have left. And that's part of being a church that happens sometimes. We have tried our best to keep the mindset that people are not ours. You guys have heard us say that I don't believe that you guys are mine or are our elders. You're not that in an ownership sense. You belong to Jesus. And if somebody leaves Anthem but is able to connect to another local body, another local church, we're okay with that. As long as it's a Bible-believing, Jesus centered church where they go to be a participant and not a spectator. The challenge that we run into in this culture is that it's very difficult to know who our flock is. When we're told by Jesus to shepherd, to lead, to teach, and to protect the flock, we have to take those commands seriously. And in order to do that, we sought to put greater organization within the body. We've looked at this verse a handful of times in our series so far, and it's Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And to be honest with you guys, when we started this membership, and what does it mean to be members of a local church? When we started this journey with Anthem a long time ago, I was a bit of a membership skeptic. I've often wondered if it was a biblical concept or if it was simply a practical solution to a practical problem. And so our goal for this morning is to tackle four questions that we have sought to answer as we work to understand shepherding the flock that's been entrusted to us, as well as the numerous love one another's or the one another verses that we find throughout Scripture. So the four questions we're going to ask is, why membership? Two, and probably the most important, is membership biblical? Who are members to be? And what are members to do? So let's start with the first question, why membership? Throughout scripture, there are calls to elders and leaders to care for the flock and trust to them like we talked about already. And that will actually, the leaders and elders, they'll be held accountable for people in their care. And for parts of the body, there are calls to bear with one another like we learned in Colossians, to forgive one another, to share with one another, to speak the truth in love with one another, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, to take communion with one another. In fact, there are 59 one another statements in the New Testament. And if we are to be faithful to those commands, who are we to do these with? Everyone on the planet? Everyone in Camarillo? I'm not so sure how well it would go over in Kay's coffee if I were to just start singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to people as they walked in. Might be a little bit odd. Who are we to do this with? See, many, if not all, of these one-anothers start with the premise or with the baseline understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord. And at the bare minimum, we agree on Jesus and desire to live our lives following after him. It's the context or the background behind the one-anothers. And so you ask the question, who are we called to live these one-anothers out with? You also, if you're an elder or a leader, as elders, who are we going to be responsible for? all believers of all time, all believers in Camarilla, all believers in Ventura County, all believers on Durkin Street, who are we called to do this with? It seems as though there must be some sort of clarifier that helps us understand who we are called to live this out together with. So why membership? Because we need to know who we're called to live this life out with. And Just a reminder, this life isn't easy either. This is hard. Life is messy. Situations get rough. So we need to know who we're called to live this hard life out together with in God's grace. And I'm not sure uh, if you've ever had a DTR before. Uh, DTR is defining the relationship. Uh, This is often something that needs to take place when people... Are dating, or maybe it happens in a workspace. You need to define different terms, whatever. But for Keely and I, when before we started dating, we had this long, uh, flirty, fun, kind of confusing time uh, for a few months before we actually became a couple. I don't know if you guys can remember that time where you kind of were like interested in each other, but nobody had actually said anything yet. But you're kind of like I, like you're saying with actions by like you know hanging out for an extra 15 20 minutes to in you know 2 hours or however long but you actually haven't clarified anything but you feel you feel like you like each other but during that time it's also oftentimes very confusing because the other person in the relationship or that hasn't been clarified yet sometimes will do something and all of a sudden you start freaking out wondering like did they, I thought they liked me did they like me did they not like me how am i going to go about this what do we, you know and do it, and we get all confused You see, for Keely and I, we eventually needed to define the relationship. I had to toughen up a bit and actually ask her to become my girlfriend. And I'll tell you, even in that moment, and we had been doing this weird, confusing, kind of flirty stage for like three months, even before I asked her, I was a little bit nervous whether or not she would say yes or not. Because there's something in ambiguity, in vagueness, that where doubt, confusion, and wrong assumptions tend to be victorious. Now, in a perfect world, would we need these clarifiers? No. The way it should have happened was Keeley just magically became my wife without ever either one of us you know, having to think about it or struggling or doing that terrible thing called dating. However, we live in a fallen world where doubt, confusion, pain, and wrong assumptions, they thrive in ambiguity or vagueness. So there are times when clarification is needed so that all parties can affirm or reject what we're committing to. i had asked Keely to become my girlfriend, and she had the option to say no. Three and a half years later, i had asked Keely to become my wife. She had, the op- she had the option to say no. We both had the option to say no. And today, Keely and I aren't here 13 years later, wondering why are we even here. Because we knew what we were signing up for, it, for the most part. Plenty of curveballs that came our way. One of the reasons membership is so helpful is because it clarifies the context of how we're going to try and live out life together, sons and daughters of Jesus, together in our time and place. So, sure, there are good practical reasons for membership, but is it biblical? While I don't think it's sinful to apply modern strategy and pro- uh, programmatic or pragmatic solutions. We want the foundations of Scripture to lay the groundwork about the structure of the church. And from there, we can figure out how to best fulfill Jesus' commands in our current context. If you're wondering, is there a place in Scripture that explicitly says local church membership is something you must go through a class on, or local church membership is required, or any of those things, you will not find that text in Scripture. We firmly believe that local membership was commonly understood, and we'll walk through how. Um, but there is debate. There are a lot of people who actually really like kick against the idea of local membership, this idea of a commitment to each other. And I don't know if it's as much that they kick against the idea of a commitment to each other as it is either they're scared of commitment, period. We live in a culture where people don't like to commit to anything. Uh, or two, there's, there's, a, there's a big sense of people don't like to be exclusionary. They don't like to say, I'm in and you're not, or we're in and you're not. And there is a a degree to which membership is exclusionary. Not in a superiority sense, but in a sense of we need this life is not easy. We need to know who our brothers and sisters are. We need to know. Who has signed up to fight together for the sake of the kingdom of God in our community? There are a few key passages that deal with body life, with membership. We're not going to look at them all today, uh, but feel free to look at Romans 12. The whole thing is phenomenal. We already read 1 Corinthians 12, uh, also fantastic to look at. We have 1 Corinthians 5, 9-13, 2 Thessalonians 3, 13-15, In Ephesians 4.25, there are sections of writing that are devoted to the operations of the local church. And as Paul writes, even as we saw in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about life in the local body of Christ. He does not prescribe or command a formal membership to the local body. But it is clearly understood that the people within these local churches are clearly understood who was in the body and who was not. Let's look at a couple examples. They might feel a little bit odd, uh, but that's okay. We'll jump into them. 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. These are people who bear the name brother. These people who are called brothers, yet they're living in active sin, not just active sin, but unrepentant sin. If you read that list and were like, oh man, I've been greedy or anything like that, this isn't talking about um, moments where we have slipped up or moments where we have uh, made the wrong choice or where we have intentionally even sinned. What this is talking about is moments and periods of time of unrepentant sin where we're not willing to look at the sin that exists in our own lives and repent from it. But Paul's instruction in verse 13 gets a little bit more intense. It says to purge the evil person from among you. Paul's instruction is not related to purging someone from the body of Christ in terms of salvation. That's not our decision. But Paul is instructing the body itself to care for its own members or membership. If someone bears the name brother or member of the Corinthian church, yet they're being unrepentant, and they're bringing this unrepentant evil into the fellowship, they are to be purged from the fellowship. That's what Paul is talking about. And in 2 Thessalonians three thirteen through 15 he's more to say about this. He says, don't regard him as an enemy but warn him as a brother. So the question this leaves us with, as it's relevant to our conversation on membership, is who is given the name brother? The name brother is used consistently throughout Scripture, and especially in the book of Acts, to describe disciples of Jesus, those who are in Christ, those who are followers of Jesus. Brothers are Christians, and this term is used, it, it is an all-inclusive language, brothers are Christians, and the term is applied on a number of occasions to the brothers in a certain church or region. The word in Greek is adelphos, and it's defined this way. This would be the common understanding when people hear the word brothers. It is a close association of a group of persons, male and female, having a well-defined membership which they are by choice interdependent upon one another. I'm going to read that again. Adelphos is defined as a close association of a group of persons, male and female, having a well-defined membership. And they are by choice interdependent upon one another. When the apostles and elders and other followers of Jesus used the term brothers, they knew what they were talking about. In speaking to the local church multiple times, Roman and Ephesians, Paul talks to the brothers and describes them as members of one another in a specific attempt to reveal the responsibility for one another that the individual followers of Jesus have as part of the body, like we read with David in 1 Corinthians 12. So the concept of membership is derived from these two realities, first We are all brothers and sisters in the family of God, with God as our Father. This is the biggest picture we talked about the local and the universal church a couple weeks ago. And if all we had is this, that we're all brothers and sisters in the family of God, with God as our Father, if that's all that we had in regards to what it means to be a member, uh, then a local membership would make no sense all who are followers of Jesus, they're a part of the universal church. But there's a second piece to that, and that's that the brothers, the brotherhood, those who are committed in a local context around clearly defined roles or clearly defined doctrine, gather into local communities of believers in various regions. Within those gatherings, there are specific responsibilities given to the brothers and sisters, as they are, in fact, members of the same body and members one of another. So this may sound like a lot of effort to understand the biblical foundation of something like membership, but it's becoming increasingly important as culture moves away from commitment and personal responsibility. And the church needs to, in some regards, fight against that because that's not the way of Jesus. You cannot love Jesus and not his church. You don't get Jesus and not his church. And the church is more than the universal church it is also the local church. And the church is more than the local church. It's also the universal church. And we have to hold those two things in t- tension. But if we lose sight of the participation in the local church, then we lose the opportunity to do the things the Bible teaches about life and the body of Christ together. So who are members to be? So we've established a biblical foundation for the church to have a clearly defined membership. It involves accountability, pursuit of holiness, and serving, loving, helping one another. But who should be members in a local church? Members are specifically followers of Jesus, gathered in a local community of believers, like we looked at brotherhood, brothers. Again, that is an all-inclusive term. The membership that Paul refers to in Romans 12, In Ephesians 4, he is instructing the local body with the expectation of a responsibility for one another. Membership is the local expression of the body of Christ. So if we're to apply this in our terminology to our context, the members are the brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, who gather at Anthem Church and take responsibility for one another and for the church itself. It's important that we don't add any burdens or obstacles to somebody becoming a member of a local church. But that being said, the premise of this passage, or excuse me, of this message, has been the challenge of our modern culture. That many followers of Jesus struggle to commit themselves to the local body and choose instead to participate in many local bodies Removing themselves from the oversight and protection of elders, as well as genuine community in a place where they can live out the many one another's of scripture together. And for the sake of unity, effectiveness and mission, accountability for the souls of people, local church membership has a place in the modern church. So when it comes to membership, we're not, uh, by the way, the goal of this message, we don't have like a membership class that's you know, slotted for next week, even though that might have been a great strategy. That's not, we're not doing a membership conversation or membership sermon so that we can get 17 new people to sign up for church membership. What we were trying to do is we're wanting to bring people in and have a good understanding of why we operate the way we do as a church. And hopefully to be able to look at scripture together and see that there's great reason for us to have a defined membership together. And again, we don't want it to be, uh, more grandiose than what scripture implies. And so I just want you guys to know what we do with membership and why we have it at our church and the questions we ask. And the first question we ask when somebody says they want to be a member at Anthem is, are you a brother or sister in Christ? This is prerequisite number one. And really, it's the only prerequisite. Are you a brother or sister in Christ? Within that, we do ask some follow-up questions like, can you articulate the gospel?" Meaning, can you explain the good news of Jesus, how Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself? We ask, have you been baptized? And that's not a prerequisite to you becoming a member. It is a question. If you are a follower of Jesus, one of the first things that Jesus says is repent and be baptized, every one of you. And so we invite people to take sometimes one of their first steps in obedience and actually being baptized. But the other key question that we ask is Is Anthem Church the people that you're calling your church family? And these two are just as important. When you say yes to membership, you're not just saying yes to attending on a Sunday, you're saying yes to the people to your left and to your right. This is one of the reasons why we have family time every single Sunday, is because We want people to understand that you are part of something that is not just front to back. It's not a spectator sport, but this is a together. This is one where we know one another. This is another reason why we push so hard for community groups. Even though community groups have plenty of faults in them, we need help in being together because by nature, the enemy ourselves and the world is going to push us into isolation. So is Anthem the people that you are calling your church family? This should include things like, do you agree with us doctrinally? This means, are you involved in serving? Are you willing to serve? And that doesn't just mean on a Sunday. It could be through many different avenues. Are you willing to, as we read in 1 Corinthians 12, as kind of the backbone to a lot of this message, use the way that God has uniquely wired you to use them together to help the body be what she's called to be? Whether or not you're an ear, a big toe, a left nostril, a right eyebrow, a mouth, are you willing to stay connected to the body to use the gifts that God's given you to help the body be what God's called her to be? And are you also willing to attach yourself to a people who can be a bit messy, but who will also bless you and help you be the best left nostril, right ear lobe, bottom lip, I don't know, that you can be. Okay, we do have Intro to Membership. This is a process where we walk through a bunch of what we're doing in this church series together, and we will be having one in the next four or five months or so. We do it twice a year. But this is one of those situations where we're doing our best to honor scriptures and operate in the culture that we are in. We're in an awesome era where there are multiple local churches in near proximity to every person in Ventura County. This is a beautiful place to live it's a beautiful time to live but in the early church you don't hear a lot talked about a defined local church membership because there was one that there was one church in a town you didn't have a choice it was like who comes yeah okay we're members it cost people something like legitimately it cost them social uh, status when people were baptized in the first century it oftentimes was the moment where they committed social suicide or or sometimes even economic suicide, where they had to change jobs, where they could no longer do what they once did as they were put into the water publicly and they came out of the water publicly demonstrating that they now were followers of Jesus. Legitimately, in the first century, what was a membership class? Baptism. And not like a six-week baptism course. It was you walking in front of, people publicly, knowing that it would cost you, and saying, I'm identifying with Jesus, and if I'm identifying with Jesus, you know who else I'm identifying with? Every single one of these followers of Jesus that exist in my town. Again, we live in a little bit different time, where most people, when they get baptized, it doesn't cost them much today. and Sometimes baptism is seen as a cool thing, and it is a wonderful thing to celebrate, but most of us don't understand that in our baptism, we're not just being identified with Jesus, we're also attaching ourselves to the family of God in which is designed to be lived out in a local church context. If you're not a member with Anthem Church, I fully believe that you should be a member somewhere. Again, our goal isn't to build the biggest membership in Camarillo or Ventura County or church. That's not our goal. But man, I just hope you hear from me. If, if you're not a member here, if you're not a committed follower of Jesus to a, a local body that exists beyond a Sunday context, go somewhere where you can be. Because you are made to be attached to the body. You are made to use your gifts and talents, no matter what they are, to bless others in your community. The church was never designed to be a place for a few paid staff and elders to do the majority of the work and the rest of the people to receive. The church has always been designed to be an all-hands-on-deck situation. And we're not just talking about Sundays. And if you hear me say that a bunch, I really, really, really want this to sink in. When Oftentimes when people talk about membership, we're generally talking about things in a Sunday context. That is not by any means the biblical equivalence of what it means to be a member of the local body. Most of the one another's within Scripture actually can't happen on a Sunday morning. They have to happen outside of a Sunday context. When we're talking about being members, we're not talking about making sure that we don't have people miss church on Sundays because it's Labor Day. We're making sure that we're talking about what does it look like to faithfully live out Scripture together. Okay, that leads us to the final question. What does a member do? So what does a member do? This is basically the entire New Testament. Um, (laughs) This is, uh, and there's a few big portions of Scripture uh, that really highlight it. What do members do? You can look at a a great place to see what Jesus says about those who follow him and how they're called to live is the Sermon on the Mount. Fantastic place to look and see how we're called to live together, to be the people that God's called us to be. We have some other key passages, like in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, where we're called to meet together and stir one another up toward faith and good deeds. There's this call to regularly come together. And again, we our default position is to think Sunday. We have to stop thinking that way. We're Sunday-centric in the sense that we think about Sundays because Jesus Christ rose from the grave and we want to celebrate him together every Sunday. And that is so Important, And we do do that regularly and we challenge you. But this passage in Hebrews talks, it's more than meeting together to stir one another up on Sunday. But it has a lot to do with meeting with one another as you're watching so you think you can dance. Or as you're sharing a cup of wine together and cheese plate or whatever on a Tuesday night. Or as you're meeting with your community group. Or as you meet with somebody while you're having coffee. And it's this invitation to meet together, to stir one another up. That's, that's this idea of creating friction, to create something. Or in other places, scripture told us iron sharpens iron. But as we meet together, we're called to stir one another up. And we're not to forsake meeting together. And we need that reminder. Because again, our world will push us toward isolation, individualism, and personal freedom, which those things aren't 100% evil, but we have to understand that's the default in the world that we live in. So we meet together regularly, and we stir one another up. We collectively maintain the righteousness of Christ within the body. We saw this in what Paul was instructing in Thessalonians in, in 1 Corinthians 5, this idea that we're actually called to help engage in like the kind of messy side of life together. The areas where maybe there's sinful tendencies that exist in our life, or maybe there's very uh, clear, unrepentant sin in our lives, we're actually called as the body, as the one another's, to come alongside, to invite people to repent, and to cling on to Jesus. If you're looking for a... um, a really uh, larger swath of scripture to help see what uh, it looks like to be members in the body. Romans 12, 9 through Romans 15, 7 is a fantastic portion of scripture. Really, up until this point in Romans, he's established the doctrine of who God is, what God has done, what our identity is in Romans 8. And now he's getting into, especially in Romans 12 through 15, the how now should we live as followers of Jesus. And so I encourage you to take some time to look through there. But let me tell you some of the things that we see, his instructions for members, to genuinely love one another. You can't genuinely love one another if you don't know each other. You can, like, I love you, blanket statement, but that word genuinely kind of, it changes the dynamic of the, like we love everyone. Yes, we love everyone, but who do you love specifically? Who do you genuinely love? Who are you genuinely pouring yourself into, giving yourself to? We're called to genuinely love one another. We're called to hold fast to good and hate evil together. We're called to be diligent together, to be fervent, to be hardworking, I'm called to contribute to the needs of the saints together, this is generosity, I'm called to show hospitality to one another, this is the love of strangers. The Tabers over here are amazing, they love and do hospitality amazingly. They've had people live in their house that aren't their actual family for many, many, many years. And they're insanely hospitable. They can't help it. It's because of the work that of Jesus that's been done in their lives. It's a beautiful thing. We need that hospitality in our church family, and we need it to grow in us. We're to outdo one another in showing honor to each other. This one's hard. Outdoing one another and showing honor. It's hard to honor somebody that you don't know. On top of that, the way that you honor somebody isn't necessarily the way that they receive honor. And so you might be doing your best to honor somebody, but they themselves actually might be, while you're doing that, be feeling guilty or receiving shame. And so there is this, it comes back to that first one of genuinely loving one another. So there is, uh, what I'm trying to do is help continue to lay this foundation of there is this commitment to one another. And there does seem to be a limit. We want to love everybody. But I even want us to look at Jesus for a few moments. Yes, did Jesus love everyone? For God so loved the whole world. He loved everyone, absolutely. But when he came in the flesh, what did he do? He called 12. And even within those 12, he took three. In which he had the most intimate relationship with. Yes, he had the seven, and he had the more, and he appeared to more than 500, but there was a special commitment with a few, a localized commitment with people that you are walking through life together with, called to live in harmony, not to have haughtiness. That's the idea of associating with everyone. You should have friends in your community that you make tons more money than and tons less money or whatever. There's not to be a hierarchy. But our membership spans all economic spectrums. We're called to love enemies together, to submit to authorities, to put on Christ, to welcome those weaker in the faith, to not pass judgment on other people's convictions, to not cause people to stumble. They're part of what we're called to do together. Called to financially support pastors and elders, those who especially lead in the areas of preaching and teaching, as we see in 1 Timothy 5.17. Members and followers of Jesus are called to confess their sins together and receive healing, as we see in James 5.16. And just to be honest, this is probably one of the things we do the least. You want to think about how individualized we've become or how we create a separation. Think about the last time you confessed sins with one of your brothers or sisters in Christ. Many of us believe that those sins are just mine, and they're just, I'm going to deal with them alone. Just between me and God. But I love what James says in James 5.16, that we're to confess our sins together, and there we will receive healing. So much of that is that when the things that are in secret, where there's vagueness, where there's ambiguity, confusion, doubts, and wrong assumptions reign. But when we bring things in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with the Father and with one another. We need to confess our sins together. One of the reasons we have to confess our sins is because just because we're members of the body of Christ doesn't mean we're perfect. The worship team, you guys can come on up. Members are messy. You guys need to know that there's some people that don't jump into membership because they don't think that they themselves are clean enough or good enough or have enough gifts or talents or whatever to be a part of the body. The only qualifier we need to be part of the body of Christ is Jesus himself. Remember, Jesus did not come to save the well. He came to save the sick, of which we all are. Members are messy. And we are all in desperate need of Jesus. Membership is for the repentant, for those who want to change and know that it's only through Jesus and His Spirit that we're able to do this together. As you look at membership and what it looked like to be members of one another throughout Scripture, like we mentioned earlier, most of the time it's outside of a Sunday gathering. And it's done in community, this doing life together. And I I really, really, really want, I I think I've made it relatively clear, but we're living in a time and place where people think their membership is most seen or demonstrated on a Sunday morning. And I just want you to know, I think that's a lie from the enemy. Membership is not best demonstrated on a Sunday morning. Hopefully it's a it's a product, it's a byproduct of being a follower of Jesus. We're called to meet together and come together with one another? Absolutely. But are we being members Sunday to Sunday? And it's hard, even as committed followers of Jesus. Trying to demonstrate our membership, our one anotherness throughout the week is challenging. But that, specifically for us as Anthem Church, that's the space where I genuinely want to see us grow the most. I want our Sundays to continue to be a phenomenal time, you guys. I can't wait to sing together. I love singing together and taking communion together. Teaching and learning from Jesus together, that's fantastic. But if we do that and we aren't in relationship with people, we are missing what it means to be the body. Honestly, if you were to tell me for some reason you could only do community groups or Sunday morning, and again, community groups just reflect community life for us, I would tell you in a heartbeat to do community group. I would say you're missing out if you're not able to come on Sundays and celebrating Jesus together, but at least you are part of a community where you are known and loved and where you're attempting, by God's grace, to live out the one another's of Scripture together. Membership apart from community is not membership. It's Costco. Something you pay dues to be a part of so that you can go when you need to stock up, prep, or get free samples. That's not biblical membership. Membership is a brotherhood. A place not to be anonymous, but a place to be known and loved in your good. and You need to hear this, in your good and your bad. There's nowhere else in the world where you can genuinely be loved and known in your good and your bad We can only do that through the power and grace of Jesus. So whether or not it's Anthem or a local church, commit yourself somewhere and know that you are indispensable to the body of Christ. Know that you matter. And know that Jesus' instruction to you, how we're called to live out this life together, is important. And let's take it seriously. A while ago I memorized 1 John 1. And this passage runs through my mind as I think about membership. In this first section of 1 John, I feel like John is really excited. I almost feel like this is almost like a, a pep rally speech or something. But I want you to hear this as we get ready to respond to worship now, as we're going to sing two songs. It says, it's that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus himself. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship, koinonia, brotherhood with us. And indeed our koinonia, our fellowship, our brotherhood is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I love as John is writing this. We've seen Jesus. We've touched him. We love him so much. And we're telling you about him. And one of the reasons we're telling you about him so you can actually have fellowship, koinonia, brotherhood with us with one another, because our fellowship is with God. I want us to long to walk in this brotherhood together. And what is the product of that, as John talks about, our joy being complete. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing. God, we ask that you would continue to stir us as brothers and sisters in Christ to love you and your church. God, I ask that as we walk through a handful of it, uh, passages of scripture and handfuls of one another's. God, I ask that you would be increasing in us, in our relationship, and our conviction, how to live out the one another's. And God, I ask that you would give us an attitude, a perspective, a heart like John that believes and has faith in you so much that he can't help but proclaim it to others because not only does he want people to have eternal life in you, he wants people to have relationship, fellowship, kononia, brotherhood, membership together as we get to taste and see and enjoy you now together for your glory. So Lord, we love you so much. Be with us as we respond now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.